Welcome to IBJI's Ortho Inform, where we talk all things orthopedics to help you move better, live better. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Shahab. With Ortho Inform, our goal is to provide you with an in-depth resource about common orthopedic conditions that we see every day. Today, it's my pleasure to welcome Dr. Brian Clay, who will be speaking to us about interventional pain management. As a brief introduction, Dr. Clay was born and raised in Chicago. He earned his medical degree from the University of Illinois at Chicago. Dr. Clay then entered his residency at Northwestern University School of Medicine in Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation. As part of his residency training, he also worked with the Rehabilitation Institute of Chicago, now known as the Shirley Ryan Ability Lab, one of the country's premier rehabilitation programs. Upon completion of his residency, Dr. Clay completed an additional year of fellowship training in anesthesia pain medicine at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. Dr. Clay has been with IBGI ever since the completion of his fellowship training. As a physiatrist, Dr. Clay is an expert in nerve, muscle, and bone, and the impact that injuries and illnesses can have on these vital organs. He has helped thousands of patients manage painful arthritic and post-traumatic conditions and has also worked with patients who have suffered traumatic brain and spinal cord injuries. Dr. Clay has a selfless passion for others, and he is constantly exploring innovative practices and techniques to relieve the pain from which many patients suffer. He strives to restore the lost quality of life and provide the tools needed to optimize functional mobility for all patients. So Brian, welcome to IBGI's Ortho Inform, and thank you for being here today. Thank you, uh, Dr. Sheheb. I appreciate you having me. (laughs) You can call me Eric. Eric. (laughs) Okay, thanks, Eric. So, Brian, there there are no softballs here, and I'm going to ask a very difficult question to start, which is, what is pain? Because when I think of pain, I think of anatomy as a surgeon, and and I think of disrupted anatomy, but then I think, well, where does the pain occur? Is it in the knee, or is it in the brain? And, you know, why is it that some people who have one condition— have a lot of pain, and another person with the same condition have no pain. And so what are your, what are your general thoughts on what pain is? Sure. So, you know, and, and that's a good question. I, I think that pain is, of course, is a subjective experience that mm-hmm. patients have. And oftentimes the underlying pathology may differ from person to person. Yeah. And ultimately, as a clinician, Making a diagnosis is perhaps the most important step in determining what the source of pain is. For example, there is pain that can be visceral pain, there's pain that can be somatic pain due to actual injury, and there's chronic pain, which mm-hmm. you know is a, a different disease state that is distinct from other uh, acute and subacute pain conditions. Okay, so you, you talked about visceral pain, somatic pain, and the third one being chronic pain. chronic pain and and they're different states of of pain and and so there're clearly lots of different inputs for pain lots of different variables around pain causes of pain but in general when people have pain they know it so as a clinician how do you you know it well and you know again that's the challenge of of managing pain you have to engage with the patient you have to investigate potential causes of, you know, the source of, of the patient's complaint. Yeah. And oftentimes we search for some sort of objective correlation. For instance, we'll get x-rays, we'll get MRIs, mm-hmm. and, and that'll help us determine, okay, well, why is this person having back pain and leg pain? Oh, okay, the MRI shows there's a pinched nerve in the lower back, for instance. So some cases are as straightforward as that. 
And then there's the other patient who may have 20 years of chronic pain with diagnoses such as fibromyalgia, mm -hmm. which is a complex diagnosis of chronic pain of unknown etiology. And also there's patients who have several years of chronic rheumatoid arthritis uh, that has then become chronic pain. And you really have to investigate each person on an individual basis to determine the source and to determine the correct pathway to manage that uh, painful condition. Yeah, it, it sounds incredibly complex because even though we have MRIs and x-rays that might identify an anatomic abnormality, the MRI doesn't say, this hurts. We have to make a couple of leaps to get to that point, correct? I mean, you'll see some people who have a, a, a pinched nerve on an MRI and another person with a pinched nerve on an, like similar anatomy, but one person might have terrible pain and another person might have no pain. And we don't have any s blood test or image that says, this is painful, this isn't. Yeah, that's right. And it, it's a pretty archaic way to investigate pain as, as, you know, clinicians. What we do is ask patients, well, zero to 10, what's your pain? Zero, no pain. 10 out of 10, you're mm -hmm. running around on fire. Okay. And, yeah. and so, but one person's 10 is another person's five. So then it becomes a very difficult thing to sort of objectify in terms of utilizing scales that we currently use. So it kind of makes it more of a investigational undertaking when patients present with, say, hip pain. And then the next question is, well, where is your hip? And then, you know, you, right. you, you kind of go down the road of investigating, you know, the, the clinical presentation. And that's usually going to cue you into a potential source of pathology that you then investigate. Okay. And, and, and you mentioned different tools in a toolbox. And as an orthopedic surgeon, my tool is generally a scalpel to help manage patients' painful condition or disrupted anatomy. Um, take us through your toolbox of what you can offer patients to help with um, pain that has been chronic and longstanding. Sure. sure. And I, and I think we have to, I guess, make a distinction between the various types of pain management. Mm -hmm. I think as a subspecialty field, pain management sort of emerged as an interventional field. So for instance, there's interventional cardiology or interventional radiology. And, I, and the term interventional in medicine typically refers to a procedural-based technique that one can utilize to diagnose or to manage an underlying pathology. And so in interventional pain, typically our toolbox involves some kind of procedure, which may be an injection or needle-based procedure. There are also implantable devices that we utilize to manage pain for refractory cases, individuals who do not respond to the classic treatment, which typically would involve some sort of physical therapy, management with medications, mm -hmm. or, or injections. And that's usually going to be part of the approach in managing either acute or, or chronic pain. So... Just to summarize, you mentioned injections as an intervention that can help with pain. You mentioned implantable devices that can help with chronic pain. You mentioned medications that can help with, with, with pain. So let's go down the pathway of, of each of those. We can start with um, injections. Sure. 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 So, so the injection. So oftentimes patients come in and 
they've been referred for, let's say, a quote-unquote cortisone injection. And mm-hmm. so, so then we have the discussion in terms of, okay, well, where's the source of the pain? And if an injection is appropriate, usually we would offer a sort of tailored approach, right? So there's um, a number of different pathologic conditions. For instance, osteophritis, like you treat mm-hmm. every clinic and myself as well. There are neurologic conditions such as neuropathy, which is a condition of a diseased state of nerves. And there are conditions where patients present with injuries to the intervertebral discs, so disc herniations or spinal stenosis. And oftentimes there's overlap with how we treat these patients. So, so the person who has chronic spinal stenosis in their 70s, for instance, we may offer the same sort of injection or, or spinal procedure that we would for someone who's in their 20s with a herniated disc that did not improve with physical therapy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's sort of one aspect of our initial treatment approach. And the, the idea here is the use of corticosteroid is a tool, but it's not the end-all, be-all mm-hmm. of the treatment. Yep. And so the real benefit of having these tools is that you can combine these tools into a comprehensive treatment program. And we typically would utilize other modalities such as physical therapy, for instance, to help aid us in managing these conditions. So, so it, which is a great point that you brought up physical therapy, another tool in the toolbox in addition to the injections, the implantable devices, and the medications. And then what are some of the other tools that maybe we haven't covered and just in terms of naming them, then we can go through them. Sure. So if we're talking about chronic pain, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's well delineated that chronic pain is a disease state. And so chronic pain is more of a behavioral condition uh, where you have underlying pathology in addition to chronic suffering that then becomes a... Uh, uh, psychosomatic uh, condition. So the chronic suffering, for instance, can rewire the central nervous system. And in cases like individuals who suffer from pain for 20, 30 years, Mm -hmm. typically we'd also refer these patients to cognitive behavioral therapy, for instance, or pain psychology, for instance, in terms of a complementary alternative approach to some of our other classic modalities that right. we use to treat this. And so there's obviously this wide range of, of, of potential tools to help a patient who has pain, either acute pain or chronic pain. And, and, and these tools, it sounds like, are being used in combination, not uncommonly. And, and, and that how to combine them is sort of the art of the medical practice that you perform. And, and, and so just kind of going through the next one, you mentioned implantable devices. What are those, and, and, and how are they intended to help with the patient's pain? Sure. So many patients, when they come in, their goal, obviously, is to improve function and quality of life. And when we reach a point where patients have exhausted physical therapy, they've exhausted injections, mm-hmm. they, we've tried a number of different pain medications with a myriad of side effects that patients can't tolerate. And so we get to a point where we're considering perhaps a surgical intervention. And depending on the source of pathology, surgery can be a difficult step to take for some patients where 
we're not entirely sure what the outcome may be, for instance. And uh, within pain management, we, we work uh, very closely with the patient to determine what their goals are. Uh, there are a few implantable devices that we typically utilize to improve that functional outcome. Mm -hmm. Most of them deal with conditions of the spine, which tend to be some of the more painful and complex uh, pathological conditions. And for instance, one tool that, that we use is called uh, spinal cord stimulation. And that's a device uh, that's been around since the 1970s. Mm -hmm. uh, it's an implantable system that rewires essentially the sensory input of pain. So therefore, someone with chronic uh, peripheral neuropathy, for instance, uh, which is classically thought of as an untreatable condition with the, with the progressive course, uh, within the pain management uh, scope, we can then uh, implant the device and intervene on the pain feedback loop and sort of break up that pathway. There are additional tools that we use to manage chronic spinal conditions that are refractory to injections, refractory to physical therapy. Mm -hmm. And two of, of the procedures that I utilize in my clinic would be an interspinous spacer implant, which is also called Vertiflex. And that's a, that's a tool that's a minimally invasive implant that we use for chronic spinal stenosis in the senior populations as a, an alternative to going on to have, you know, a major spine major surgery. Spine surgery. Yeah, right. Also, there is a, a procedure that we're utilizing called the MILD procedure, and MILD is an acronym, stands for Minimally Invasive Lumbar Decompression. And this is also a minimally invasive tool done as an outpatient in our surgery centers where we also treat chronic spinal stenosis for patients who, again, are not amenable to undergoing a, an extensive back surgery. Mm -hmm. so, okay. So, so these Im implants, it sounds like, I, are commonly used more as a maybe a last line of defense, but certainly an effective intervention for patients suffering from what seemingly are chronic, untreatable, painful conditions, which you actually can intervene and can break the feedback loop and can significantly alter the pain experience of the patient. And so as we move forward, we've talked about injections, we've talked about the implants, medications you mentioned. What are, what are the range of medications? How are they helpful? And, and what are the potential benefits and even potential side effects of, of medications for chronic pain? Sure. So the, the medications vary widely that we, that we utilize to treat pain, as, as you well know. So they're very, there's... So there's various classes of medications. Mm -hmm. For instance, anti-inflammatory drugs are usually going to be first-line choices in addition to acetaminophen or, or, or a Tylenol. Mm -hmm. uh, oftentimes, I have patients just try over-the-counter remedies before we make the decision to prescribe pain medications. Mm -hmm. So in, in, in this environment that we're currently living in, there's an, an opioid epidemic, as you well know. Yeah. And Basically, in our field, there is a emphasis on coming up with novel ways to manage pain that would not require utilization of opioids. That being said, quite a few patients honestly would benefit from low-dose opioid management in addition to other functional rehabilitation programs. Oftentimes, when patients come in, we think of multimodal approaches to treating 
pain with medications, for instance. So we may use a combination of anti-inflammatory medications mm-hmm. such as Advil or medications that treat nerve pain such as gabapentin. Mm-hmm. And utilizing these medications in combination does pose the risk of side effects. Some of the most common side effects from our pain medications would include sedation, mm-hmm. GI side effects, discomfort, constipation. And, you know, we closely monitor patients for these side effects if we do have them on these pharmacologic interventions. But I think the most important thing to understand about managing pain with medications is that we should set goals and endpoints for the patient, right? So it's always our goal to, if we start a patient on any medication, opioids or non-opioids, to eventually wean them off of it. And that becomes our challenge as we're managing these conditions for the patient because in some cases, unfortunately, patients will require these medications indefinitely. Yeah, yeah. You know, the opioid epidemic has obviously affected so many people around the country, and it's shined a light on some of the potential harms of opiates. But there are clearly people who benefit from it, and, and I don't envy you or any other pain management specialist who is walking that fine line of how can I provide the benefit of the opiates to a patient with the potential side effects that can come from it. And, 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 and obviously, the epidemic has really shined a, a light on it, probably to the benefit in some ways that people are much more careful with the use of opiates, but also maybe to the detriment because we've become a lot more stringent about who we are giving opiates to, and it and it, it kind of cuts both ways of, 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 of being more careful with it, but also maybe inappropriately withholding it from patients who might benefit. So I, I don't know how you guys walk that tightrope. Yeah, and, and it is challenging. I, I think that you have to have the discussion with the patient or the mm-hmm. patient and the patient's family. And again, I think if everyone is on the same page as far as the goal of the management with opioids and I, the the one outcome that I look for on patients who are on chronic opioids is the functional aspect of you know what that medicine allows them to do mm-hmm. oftentimes individuals who are on say chronic opioids will require these medications for function mm-hmm. and whereas without the medications they may they may be functionally limited due to the, the intensity of the pain and so that then you know becomes a risk benefit question and and in some cases it it, it's necessary to manage these these patients with opioids in order to improve their function yeah yeah and 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 any other you mentioned nerve medications like gabapentin any other types of medications that you think can be helpful for patients or things like antidepressants helpful for patients' pain or any other class of medications? Sure, yeah. So in terms of the, the full gamut of, of pain medications, we typically would uh, use a combination of a nerve pain agent such as gabapentin mm-hmm. or anti-inflammatory pain medications such as uh, Advil or, mm-hmm. or Aleve. And the antidepressants uh, that, we, that we use uh, typically would involve some sort of t- uh, serotonin or norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors. Uh, one of the more common ones would be uh, uh, duloxetine, also known as Cymbalta, mm-hmm. uh, which has some nerve pain management properties. And the benefit of using the antidepressants is that oftentimes with chronic pain, 
there's a uh, mood component that we also address with, with the antidepressant modalities. Okay, so that's a great overview of the medications, anti-inflammatories, nerve pain medications like gabapentin, some of the opioid medications, some of the antidepressant medications would also have a nerve impact. Seem to be a pretty good set of possible medications that you can mix and match with patients to improve function and minimize side effects. So, and then moving on to the next category in the toolbox, you had mentioned physical therapy. How is physical therapy helpful and beneficial for pain management? Obviously, we can make a pretty easy leap why it'd be helpful for function and mobility, but how does it help with pain management? With individuals who have pain, there's some chronic debility or dysfunction. And once we're able to manage the pain, then we're stuck with the fallout from, you know, the weakness that comes with chronic pain or, or even acute pain. And we, we utilize physical therapy as a tool to help patients recover uh, some of that functional loss that inevitably occurs when, when people are so suffer. inhibited by their pain. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, and so the therapy is focused on recovery of strength, recovery of flexibility, and, and is it in of itself, is, is motion a pain reliever? Is there some sort of you know, hormone that gets released with, with movement? Is there some sort of benefit to the muscle activation? Is there any, I, I'm just curious on a totally sort of layperson view of this, if the, the therapy itself induces some sort of biochemical response that allows for the pain to be reduced. Yeah, I mean, and I, I think that there is some component of an endorphin release if, if you're uh, participating in physical therapy, if you're uh, in, in improving your mobility, your range of motion. It allows you to do other activities outside of physical therapy as well. Go for walks, mm-hmm. you know, participate in hobbies, participate in sports activities, for instance. And so that initial therapeutic approach then sort of leads to other quality of life goals that patients can achieve uh, through therapy. Yeah. And, and, and I think we're kind of alluding also to the, the mental health aspect of pain and pain management, and you mentioned um, another tool in the toolbox being cognitive behavioral therapy or modalities like that. So let's explore that a little bit. How do you use your colleagues who do cognitive behavioral therapy? Do you do, you do it yourself? Uh, I don't. I, I typically would refer patients mm-hmm. for uh, a pain psychology evaluation. So there, yeah. there are uh, psychologists who uh, have a special uh, specialization in cognitive behavioral therapy for pain management. And, you know, again, we are looking for tools for patients to make this a comprehensive approach, for instance, yep. right? So, for instance, at Illinois Bone and Joint, we have the ortho health program, and we have our obesity medicine specialists that are part of, of the program as well. So, if there's a patient who we identify as being functional, functionally limited mm-hmm. due to their body habitus, for instance, then we'll refer them to the ortho health program that we have here, and that becomes part of the interdisciplinary approach. So when you're, when you're talking about cognitive behavioral therapy, biofeedback, mm-hmm. it kind of falls under that umbrella of an interdisciplinary approach to managing pain. Yeah. So, so it, it sounds like it's the rare patient who gets one of these tools that solves their problem. It sounds like many patients or the majority of patients will require some combination of the use of these tools. Is that correct? Correct. 
Yes. Okay. And, and then, again, the art of it is sort of selecting which tools. And my, my guess is it's not a straight line. It, it can be uh, a little bit of a gray area. Yeah. Uh, um, I, I think each case is unique. Each case is different from, you know, based on the pathology, based on the age, the gender of the patient. Again, the, the BMI, you know, there's so many factors that one has to examine prior to, you know, making a, a, a treatment plan for a patient that we think will be effective. Yeah, so. yeah. And, and, and so what are the outcomes that someone who's been experiencing pain, who then is able to have the benefit of your care and, and, and your colleagues' care, are they, is the expectation set that you will eliminate their pain completely, or is it um, more that let's get this manageable so that you can live a functional life? Like, I mean, obviously the goal would be to get rid of it. Like, that, that's, I think, everybody's dream. What are some of the realistic expectations and outcomes for work in interventional pain management? Yeah, I think um, you're correct. Uh, there, there's always the home run, you know, where you knock it out the park and the pain goes away and it never comes back. And, you know, that, that's sort of the, the ideal outcome. Sure. But, but realistically, um, you know, we try to work with the patients to – give them as many tools to optimize their functional outcomes. Right. Uh, so, for instance, uh, a patient may come through the doors at Illinois Bone and Joint Institute with back pain, for instance, and we take them through our, you know, protocols and our algorithms of managing with PT, with uh, medications or mm-hmm. interventions. And then when everything's said and done and the dust settles, you know, they may find that they feel stronger. They may find that they're able to walk longer. Mm-hmm. They're able to walk longer distances. They're sleeping better. Their mood is better. But despite that, they still have the underlying pain. It's just it's just more manageable, mm-hmm. and it doesn't interfere with their function and quality of life. So you know, the the, the goal is to to save lifestyles, and that's you know, and that's essentially every case that comes in the door, that's, you know, where my focus is. That's the is. goal. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I find it just such a fascinating topic because pain is experienced so differently by people and shaped by their experience, shaped by their expectations. And, 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 you know, you could, you could go on forever and ever discussing this. I don't know. What are, what are some of your, your, your overarching thoughts? You said lifestyle getting back is a big deal. If I could just kind of probe this, what do you think is at the root of a patient who has been suffering from chronic pain? Is it one thing or multiple things? Is it one injury? Is it an accumulation? Or is it any of the above? Well, yeah, and, and the chronic pain, again, is uh, usually a, a multifactorial condition. Mm-hmm. I mean, it can start with an initial injury uh, that then... Uh, spirals into a myriad of other injuries uh, that um, are consequences of the initial injury. Mm-hmm. Um, so you may have a a disc injury in the neck, for instance, and then you su- then you subsequently develop a problem in the shoulder. And so, therefore, sort of following the pathology initially is the most important step to preventing chronic pain initially. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that when you get to a point where you've had years and years of pain, you have to sort of peel back the onion and do a retrospective analysis and see what was done in the past 
that has led the patient to this point in time. Okay. And, and, and in the future, in, in the future treatments of pain management, do you foresee a magic bullet medication, a magic bullet intervention, or do you think it will typically always be some sort of multimodality treatment to help you know, patients manage their discomfort and manage their chronic pain? So that's a great question, and I, I, think, I think the most exciting aspect of medicine now is the regenerative medicine component. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we're investigating novel ways to regenerate pathologic states, right? So utilization of stem cell, platelet-rich plasma, laser technology, wave technology. You're seeing a lot of these new regenerative medicine products come on the market, and while the research is still ongoing, it's promising for the future in that if we could actually reverse some of these conditions that have classically been progressive and uh, degenerative, then uh, moving forward into the next generations, I think you know we'll see less and less of, of the chronic debility that comes from conditions such as osteoarthritis or neuropathy. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a, an exciting area and and one that holds a ton of promise in, 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 in the field of restoring orthopedic kinetics and orthopedic joints and also obviously in preventing pain that, 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 that you treat. Um, any, any other parting thoughts, anything that um, you want to convey to the listener that um, uh, would be helpful, and particularly for our, our listeners who may be suffering from chronically painful conditions or who need interventional pain management? So in terms of parting words, I think that individuals in discussing chronic pain, it's important to understand that there are a number of tools available for these patients, which may involve, you know, just having a second look at their case, you know, implementing the appropriate treatment protocols and getting them resources to manage the pain outside of just the classic medications, opioids, non-opioids, injections, and so forth. Um, and, I, and I think moving forward in the future, you're, you're going to see a lot more interdisciplinary approaches available to manage these conditions. So I think that the field is exciting. I, I think that there are many advances that are being made in the field. And, and uh, yeah, I, I, I would encourage patients to seek out treatment and to, to understand that they're not alone. So, Our guest today is Dr. Brian Clay. Brian, thanks so much for being here today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Eric. I really appreciated this opportunity, and hopefully this reaches someone out there who needs our assistance. Thank you for listening to IBGI's Ortho Inform, brought to you by the Illinois Bone and Joint Institute, where our goal is to always help you move better, live better. If you would like to learn more about IBJI and our comprehensive musculoskeletal services, please visit our website at IBJI.com. The discussion in this podcast is for general information and entertainment purposes only regarding musculoskeletal conditions. The information provided does not constitute the practice of medicine or other healthcare professional services, including the giving of medical advice and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. Listeners with musculoskeletal conditions should seek the advice of their healthcare professionals without delay for any condition they have. The use of the information in this podcast is at the listener's own risk. The content is not intended to replace diagnosis, treatment, or medical advice from your treating healthcare professional.